chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. I'll start in the middle of 18. Uh, B. Ephesians chapter 5, 18 uh, through 21. This is the word of the Lord. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated this morning. Well, this morning is a standalone message on Thanksgiving, and we'll start next week, which is crazy to think. We'll start Advent next week, which is just mind-blowing to me. So next week, we'll look uh, into the Advent. Advent means the, the anticipation of the arrival of Christ. Uh, we know that Christ has come, but we're still in the moment of Advent as we wait His return. But this morning, I just want to take a few minutes before we head down uh, to eat to look at a word of Thanksgiving. What does that mean for us? I, I don't know if you're like me, but I really struggle with Thanksgiving. Uh, not the meal part, it's the attitude part. I really struggle with having an attitude of gratitude. And this text shows us what that means. If you read throughout the Psalms, throughout the Psalms is David crying out in Thanksgiving. And if I'm honest, to me that's like, I don't like it, but then there's the larger part that's like, man, I wish I could be like that. Like, I wish I could have what it says all throughout the text. Uh, like, I just wish I had the joy of the Lord. Remember what Paul says about this. Because this is what the word thanksgiving means. This is what the word gratitude means. It means to have rejoicing of heart. And so ask yourself this question this morning as we come to this text. Do you have a rejoicing of heart this morning? Remember Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He goes on to say, because the Lord is at, is at hand. In verse 6 he says, do not be anxious about anything. How often does my anxiety rob me? Of my rejoicing. My one in the room? Like my anxiousness really robs me of gratitude because I get anxious about what I do not have rather than seeing what I do have. He goes on to say, Do not be anxious about anything, but in what everything by prayer and supplication, so with uh, petitions and prayer, let your thanksgiving. Be known to God. Is my thanksgiving, my rejoicing, being known to God? And he says, because when this happens, verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will what? Will guard your hearts and your minds. So what guards our hearts and minds? Our rejoicing, or our attitude of gratitude, or what we're coming today to celebrate Thanksgiving. So the first question we have to ask is this. Do we have thankful hearts this morning? Because this text we're about to look at is now going to show us how do we have thankful hearts? Because if you're like me, 
I struggle with having thankful hearts. And this week when I came to this text, I'm like, oh, ouch. This reveals to me the reason I don't have a thankful heart. And then it revealed to me, because I don't have a thankful heart, I don't actually do things with a thankful heart that I'm called to do. That's the text. We're going to look at this. There's that verse in the middle. It's sandwiched in the middle, verse 20. Give thanks always. Just circle the word always in your Bible. It's what always means. Always means always. That's ongoing. This means sometimes. It means always have a thankful heart. Conviction number one. That's not always me. And so I began to just pray to God. God, what does it mean to always be thankful in everything? I'll get to that in a moment in the text. But where does it must start? So Paul's going to say, where it has to start? And then what we have to do with our thanksgiving. Now, Paul could have gone anywhere with thanksgiving. But I want you to recognize where he tells us to go with our thanksgiving. He, and I'm going to give you the punchline. Our thanksgiving is always to be done with one another. Of all the things that Paul could have said in the text, he's saying basically our thanksgiving is what brings us into unity with one another. So if we don't have unity, we don't have thanksgiving. If we don't have thanksgiving, then we're going to see where it has to start. So let's see what Paul tells us. Where does our thanksgiving need to start? Now remember in the text, I'm going to kind of give some synopsis of where we're at in the text. Uh, and what's before it and what's after it. So what's before it, Paul says this, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So that's the meat of the text. So you keep reading through the text all the way to our text, and now he says this, you need to have thanksgiving. Well, how are we to have thanksgiving? It comes out of what? Our imitation of God. And what are we to do? We're to what? Love one another. So then he says this. You want to know how you are to give thanksgiving? You want to know how you are to love? Catch what he says in verse 18b. He says this. Be filled with the Spirit. So my question to myself is, and to the church, and to you this morning is this. If I don't have thanksgiving, then am I being filled with the Spirit? Not do I have the Spirit. That's not what the text says. See, because this is what's true about all of us. If you are a believer, you have been given the Spirit of God. At the moment of your conversion, you have the Holy Spirit in you. So now what is Paul talking about? That if we have the Spirit, then what? We are to be filled with the Spirit. But how many of us have the Holy Spirit, but we're not being filled with the Holy Spirit? Two things about that word. It is both this, it's an ongoing act. So am I being filled daily with the Spirit of God? Like is the Spirit of God overflowing in me? You know this to be true. If you have the Spirit of God in you and if you're being 
filled with the Spirit, remember, turn to Galatians chapter 5. So you want to know if you have the Spirit, you want to know if you're being filled with the Spirit, remember what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit. The same idea of being filled with the Spirit has the same idea of being walking with the Spirit. It's this ongoing motion. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not what gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These two are opposed against each other. He's saying if you're filled with the Spirit, you cannot be filled with the world. And if you're filled with the world, you cannot be filled with the Spirit. They are opposed to each other. You cannot have both in you. One will always push out the other. And then he says this in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit or filled by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. You want to know if you have the Spirit or you want to know if you have the world? He says this. If you have the flesh or you have the world in you, you're not being filled with the Spirit, you're being filled by the world, you'll have sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. Bro. Like, there's your checklist. In the last one, it's like, you remember those old, like, Scantron tests? A, B, C... D, above all, like all the rest. He's like, okay, if you don't like all those options, you can choose all the options. This is what he says at the very end. Right? And the things like these. And then he goes on to say it this way in verse 22. But if you have the Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, you're being filled with the Spirit. Verse 22, but the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What marks you? What marks me? Now, unlike the first Scantron test, you have to have all these. It's not like I can go through the list, well, I have love. Nah, not so much joy, peace, kind of, patience, not at all, especially on 24. I mean, what has happened? It's taken me an hour and a half to get 37 miles now. What in the world? I started my commute during COVID. I'm like, this is easy breezy. Well, that, that's long gone, and so is my patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are all those things in my life? And are all those things in your life? And are all those things in the life of the church? Because Paul says if you have all those things, then you are walking in step with the Spirit and you're being filled with the Spirit. And so if any of those are lacking in you, if any of those are lacking in me, if any of those are lacking in us, then we cannot say we're being filled with the Spirit because those things will just flow out of us. This is the same way if I plant an apple tree 
take care of the apple tree, it will produce apples. And so if I'm walking in step daily with the Lord, my life will produce those things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the first part of being filled with the Spirit, it's an ongoing daily act. Here's the other thing. Look at the one word in the text. Be. Circle that in your Bibles. Just two little letters. B means it is a command. It's not an option. We do not have an option if we walk with the Lord to be filled with the Spirit. We are commanded by God to be ongoing in our daily walk being filled with the Spirit of God. How many of us think it's an option? It's not an option. It is a command by God to be filled with the Spirit. Here's where Paul goes on, not only to say this, but this is what it's going to look like in your life. When you're filled with the Spirit, and out of that Spirit comes an attitude of gratitude. That's kind of the meat of it. Now, if you look at the text, the meat of thanksgiving is sandwiched between two things, but it's one thing. It has everything to do about relationship. So now he's saying, if you're filled with the Spirit, and you have an attitude of gratitude, then what are you to do? Check the text. He could have gone anywhere after this, but he says right after being filled with the Spirit, he says, give thanks always for everything to the Lord, to the Lord in Christ Jesus. But in between that text is these two things. Look what he says. Address one another. Does my attitude of gratitude flow on to you? Does my thankfulness in all things, and am I being filled with the Spirit, do I address you in that way? Now look what Paul says, how we must address one another, being filled with the Spirit, because we have an attitude of gratitude in all things. He says these four things must take place, and this is how those four things must take place. So the first thing he says this, I want you to address each other with psalms. Then he says, I want you to address one another with hymns. Then I want you to address one another with spiritual songs. And then I want you to address one another in singing. It's like, bro, you could have said singing just one time. Like, but he goes four different places, how we are to address each other after being filled with thanksgiving. Now the text, it th- looks like it's one thing. It is four unique things we are to address one another with thanksgiving so what are those four things let's look at them together the first thing he says for us to do is to address one another with psalms now he's referring directly back to the old testament the book of psalms now when's the last time you addressed one of your friends one of your church members with the book of psalms Do you know the Psalms enough to even address someone with the book of Psalms? I mean, there's some that I'm like, yeah, I can address you with that. Psalm 109, it's an imprecatory psalm. I'm like, man, I got that one on wraps. That's the one about dashing babies' heads on rocks. I'm like, I got you on that one. But I'm talking about all the rest of where we look at all the places of gratitude. 
How often do we come together in God's presence and we just talk to each other about the gratitude we have? But if we're honest, how much do we come and we bring our complaints and not our gratitude? We spend a lot of time complaining about what we do not have. We spend a lot of time complaining about what's sitting across from us or next to us in a pew. But when's the last time we brought gratitude for who's in our pew? And you just go through the book of Psalm and just start highlighting places where David and the other psalmists just have gratitude for all that God has done for them. When's the last time you've sat down with that much gratitude? The next thing he says is, hymns now hymns are just as true today as it was when paul wrote hymns has this idea if you look through the bible you'll see hymns not just psalms all over the place philippians has a hymn a hymn has everything to do with deep theological truths that's what a true hymn is martin luther when he wrote some of the, he was one of the greatest hymn writers of our time. Martin Luther, when you read the hymns, just open our own hymnal. The, the theological truths in hymns is impressive. My sadness is where we've taken worship music today. I'm like, what are we singing about? It's got a good beat. It's got a cool guitar riff. But then I'm like, what? That, that doesn't even make sense theologically. One of the songs that drives me absolutely bonkers is the song that says, on the cross, God, Jesus thought of me above all. That is a lie. Jesus on the cross was not thinking about you. I promise this. He was thinking first and primarily about the glory of God. Because what did he say right before he went to the cross? Thy will be done. And then he says on the cross, I commit my spirit to you. If you just take our hymns and read our hymns, there's so many theological truths in there. When's the last time you sat across from someone and you sang hymns over someone? And I don't mean like, la, 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 I'm not a good singer, so I'm not going to do it. But just spoke theological truths over somebody. You wonder why we're in the mess we're in? Because we stopped talking about the truth to one another. I was reading an article this morning. I believe the number is this. There, there's 3,000 uh, United Methodist churches in North, uh, North Georgia. Almost 600 of them left the denomination because they wanted uh, homosexuals in the pulpit. Now, how did we get there? Because we went away from the theological truth. I don't want to offend somebody. Jesus was super offensive. But he had the truth. And he spoke the truth. And he spoke the truth to people. Well, we speak the truth to people. But you can only speak the truth to people if what? You're being filled with the Spirit. But then when you're being filled with the Spirit and you're speaking the truth, how will you do it? You'll do it out of love. You'll do it out of kindness. You'll do it out of goodness. You'll do it out of faithfulness. You won't do it out of rage and control. That was the difference about Jesus. 
he confronted sin in such a loving way. We can do the same. But we first have to know the truth. But in knowing the truth, we must be filled with the Spirit of God. He goes on to say this. We are to do that with psalms. We are to do that with hymns. And we are to do that what? With spiritual songs. What does that mean? That means this. We are to share our testimony with one another. And I am not talking about the testimony of you coming to Jesus. That is part of your testimony. But your testimony must be, hey, what did God do in your life yesterday? That is a testimony. All of us ought to be able to give testimony of what God is doing. We must be able to give testimony about God's faithfulness, his goodness, his kind to us, his love, his generosity to us. When's the last time we sat at a table and gave that testimony to one another? And then last, he says this. And Rob, this ought to encourage you. Above all, he does tell us to sing. What would he tell us to sing for? Singing means this. It has to do everything with corporate worship. Now, when we come in here on Sunday or Wednesday or Sunday evening, and if we've done the first three psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, don't you think that will do something in our hearts that we want to shout out loud together the goodness of God together? We ought to blow these uh, stained glass windows out because of the goodness of God. Are we singing that way? Are we too concerned about what we're singing than who we're singing to? Because we've sat together and we've talked about all the, the goodness of God in our songs. We've talked about the spiritual truths of God. We've given testimony of God. And then we come collectively and we sing and shout out loud all that God's doing for us. And then Paul says this. Well, how are you to do that? He says, you're to do it by what? Making melody to the Lord in your heart. It has to be an overflow of the heart, not the mind. Our worship must come from the heart, not the mind. Our worship must come from the heart, not our talents. I'm a terrible singer. I promise I do not worship God out of my talents. But I hope I'm worshiping God together with you out of my heart. And then he goes on to say this. When we do those things and we do it this way, remember what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts. And now he goes. And when you do that, you'll be able to, verse 20, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to look at this for just a moment and say this first and foremost. Is that true for you and is that true for me? Do I give thanks always and for everything? Like in all of my life, am I giving thanks for all that's happening in my life, all that's going on in my life? And am I doing it constantly? 
In 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. The will of God is for me to give thanks in all circumstances. Remember what Isaiah said, God's ways are not my ways. And when those things that are happening in my life are not my ways, they're God's ways, am I still giving thanks for them? Because then he says this, when you do that, as part of the bread of the sandwich, is this. So you're to address one another by giving thanksgiving to God, and then how are you to do that? This one hurts more than all of them. He says this in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This has everything to do with verse 1 of that chapter. Therefore, imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, how are we doing that? We're doing that as Christ Give his life. Do it for one another. I wonder if we don't do that for one another because we're not doing those first four things. We're not talking to each other out of the Psalms. We're not saying deep theological truths to another. We're not sharing our lives with one another. And we're not experiencing corporate worship together. Therefore, we won't submit ourselves out of the reverence of God. You see, the more we get to know each other, the more we'll want to submit to each other. Think about your marriage for a second. Now, I came into marriage, I was like, man, I love, I cannot wait to be married to Jenny. But the more I've fallen in love with her, the more I've wanted to submit to her, the more I've wanted to serve her, the more I've wanted to be with her. That must be true for us. The more we love one another, the more we'll submit to one another. Submission simply means this. To come underneath someone. It has everything to do with this. I will put their desires above mine. Paul says it this way. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 3. I wonder if this is more us than we need to be. If, If we're not submitting to one another then we're doing this. For if anyone thinks he is something... He is nothing and deceives himself. It's not an act of submission. That's an act of pride. But then Paul says this, and I'll say this in closing. Philippians 2, verse 3 through 8. What if this is what it would look like for us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Vain conceit, highlight that in your Bible. Vain conceit means this. It means empty glory. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty glory. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each one of you not look out for his own interests, but also to the interests of others having this in mind among you, which is yours in Christ. And now he's going to tell us what Christ did. 
who though he was the form of God, did not count himself equal with God, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What would it look like for us to do that? You see, I think everything hinges on being filled with the Spirit, but being filled with the Spirit, we have an attitude of gratitude, and having an attitude of gratitude, we can put others above ourselves. The same way Christ did for us, we can do that for one another. May we come today, and may we come on Thursday, being reminded of all that we have to be grateful for. The thing that we have to be grateful for the most is what? Christ Jesus. And He has called us to be just like Him. When we have that level of gratitude, that level of thanksgiving, it will pour into one another. May I pray for us now. God, I pray for us.